Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of the Tomahawk Talk podcast. I am your host, Brett Rutherford. And, and hopefully in the near future, we're going to get these episodes uh, back on air. So they obviously won't be live. We can't be back in the radio station, but we've been talking with uh, our colleagues at V89, and we think we're going to find a way to put pre-recorded episodes of Tomahawk Talk um, back on air in Tallahassee and streaming live online around the world. So obviously we've been doing the podcast, but that's something that you guys can hopefully look forward to in the future. We'll have updates on that either on the podcast or on our social media channels. Uh, as always today, I am joined by my good friend and co-host Gary Putnick, who I defeated in trivia last week. Unfortunately, I will not have my first title defense opportunity tonight because we are going, uh, going to pass on trivia and I should, should have it back next week. Um, but, but Gary, uh, what have you been up to uh, this past week? Uh, still a whole lot of nothing, just going through watching a lot, reading a lot more draft stuff as we inch closer to the draft this Thursday night. So I know that's probably what – that's for sure what we're talking about for the majority of this show. So that's pretty much it. What about you? Yeah, I, I've never been a huge draft guy in the past. You know, I'll watch the draft. I, I'll pay attention. But it's never something that I'll, you know, go out of my way to read through all the mock drafts and all the write-ups on all the different prospects. But this year – I don't know if it's just because of the, you know, there's no other sports to watch, but I definitely have been doing a lot more reading up, uh, you know, on multiple different sites, reading through mock drafts. And, and it's also a big draft for the Bucks, my team. And we're, we're going to talk about all of our teams in the, going into the draft um, in, in just a little bit. But it's definitely something I'm looking forward to. And uh, other than that, yeah, I'm still watching wrestling, still watching old wrestling videos. Uh, me and my roommate, we, we'll eat lunch every day around the same time. Uh, and watch old Royal Rumbles. So it's, it's been pretty enjoyable and, and joining a, our panel tonight. Uh, he was on a few weeks ago on a podcast. And last week we, we discussed his team's um, new uniforms that were released, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. And that is Austin Reynolds back on the show in the night. Austin, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing okay. I'm rocking the, uh, the new draft hat for the Falcons. Uh, didn't get revealed until the, the new uniforms did, but I thankfully got it a couple of days ago and we'll be wearing it Thursday night. Uh, the, the new uniforms, they, they've kind of grown on me, uh, all of them except for the gradient combo. I'm still not a huge fan of that. But as soon as I can get my hands on uh, an, a black Todd Gurley uniform, that is going to be my, my next purchase. So I, I think uh, the gradient was the one we were giving the most trouble on the show. I did defend all the Falcons uniforms. I said that people love to hate new uniforms, new logos. They, they love to hate that, and they also love to hate when a, when a social media app releases a new uh, user interface. Oh, yeah. So whenever Twitter changes even the slightest thing, people love to hate it. But like two weeks later, they, they, they don't even realize that it was changed. So, Well, did you guys see the Pats' new uniforms today on Monday? Yeah, and again, I, if, if honestly, maybe I would have noticed it, but I think a lot of people, if, if the pa pa Patriots never made an announcement about these new uniforms, they would take the field this fall, and, and some people just would know that they changed. Well, it's just their color rush jerseys from a few years ago, or from the past few years, and they're just making a white one now. And so they have yeah. a white pants, blue pants, and then white top, blue top. And they're solid. Now, other, they're than that, other than that, they look very similar. There weren't any groundbreaking changes. But I still saw the Patriot, people giving the Patriots heat. How? How could they uniforms. give them heat? Those are those are solid. I, I told you how. Because yeah, no, people well, yeah. love to hate new uniforms. Yeah, I know, but they're just a um, solid it's... uniform. It's classic with the shoulder, the stripes on the shoulders. They they're old retro style. Yeah, combine that with no other sports to talk about, uh, and, and people are going to hate on uniforms. Um, but there was, you know, other than the draft, something else we're going to talk about a little a little later on in the show is the Last Dance uh, Thirty for Thirty, which debuted um, last night on ESPN. Last the day of recording, it's Monday. Um, probably going to listen to this on a Tuesday, but on Sunday night, ESPN debuted the first two of 10 parts of the Last Dance documentary, which covers the 1998 Chicago Bulls. Um, even though, well, we'll get into it later. I'll save that for later. Um, but Gareth, I almost forgot to mention, have you, have you been caught up on, uh, on Westworld? Oh yeah. I've been, I caught up to, I caught up like two years ago when it was, or no, a year ago, I guess when it was all kind of when season one and two were completely out and I've been watching the most recent season live and I've been loving it. I, I know a lot of people give the second season a lot of hate because a lot of the first and second season, they jump around. Everything's not in a linear timeline, but this third season has done a really good job with keeping a linear timeline and not making things as confusing. 
Yeah, I, I agree. Um, did you watch it after the last dance or did you watch it this morning? I watched it after the last dance. I was I up late watching it. It yeah. was because I saw your, tw- I saw your tweet. I saw like you tweeted out hashtag Westworld. And at first I thought it was a spoiler. So I immediately just scrolled by. I was like, I'm not looking at anything Westworld wise. I need to kind of go into this without anything. I won't spoil anything on the timeline. Almost, almost never um, okay. when it comes to films or TV. But yeah, last night's episode was great. We won't that, spoil it here on the oh. podcast either, but another great episode. The one, My one complaint this season, and, and this has happened a little bit in mm-hmm. earlier seasons, we don't want to spend the entire hour talking about uh, Westworld, is that they're, you know, the main actors, the main characters, you know, they're only in half the episodes, it feels like. Because they yeah. get one episode where it's all, you know, one character and then the other one's completely left out but it does let like the like the actors shine like i said last night with ed harris and tessa thompson mm-hmm. like they killed it last night oh yeah episode. yeah because those were their kind of episodes cool. but yeah those i kind of like it that way though because it lets you kind of see it more in depth rather than just jumping back and forth because i think a few episodes ago there was an episode where there's a lot of jump cuts and it was kind of throwing you all around the place and it was a bit disorienting at times because you had to remember like, okay, now we're following Maeve. Now we're following Dolores. Now we're following whoever now. So I like it when they kind of take these episodes to just go into whichever character. I agree. And it's been a fun season. And I agree. Oh, yeah. it's been, I, I've enjoyed it a lot more than I enjoyed season about, two. But How many more episodes are there left? Is it two or two three more. more? Two more? So they cut it from 10 episodes this season or 10 episodes in the first two seasons, just eight. So we get two okay. more episodes. But I, I think... Uh, We'll move on from Westworld. Yeah, let's keep it going. Let's keep it interesting stuff. (laughs) Austin's like silent either. I have nothing to contribute. Um, But the NFL draft this Thursday. So in a world where there are no live sporting events, um, at least not in the United States, I know over in – oh, that's another thing I've been watching is the Taiwanese Baseball League. I started that last week. I've decided to be a fan of the Fubon Guardians. Uh, who okay. are two and three. They just got swept by the rackets and monkeys. They were gotten a fight um, with the monkeys the other night. Yeah. Didn't they? So I saw that clip. They have a pitcher, Henry Sosa from the Dominican Republic mm-hmm. who threw at this monkey's batter like four, four times in a row. Times. It hit him yeah. on the fourth. Oh, it was bad. But I know it was it. The ra- I saw a thing where the rackets and monkeys, I think are calling up former Miami Marlin, Justin Nicolino possibly soon. So really? maybe I'll have to jump on the monkeys to follow my the boy monkeys- Nicolino. They're the only team that have English commentary. So okay. Oh, so that's perfect. I didn't necessarily, but they're also like the best team in the league by far. Oh, they're 5-0, makes- I think. That makes sense. But those games yeah, air so probably like 4 o'clock in the morning, right? 6.30 on the weekdays and I think 5 o'clock on the weekends. And that's, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yeah. Me. I usually just catch the later innings, which was just mm-hmm. more fun because the bullpens are terrible and they give oh, up. Like, true. You could be down, your team could be down 9-3 to three going into the 7th. You know, yeah, we're still in this. Okay, maybe I'll okay. I'll, I'll try to catch a few up a uh, few games. I, I would recommend it. Uh, moving on to the NFL draft this Thursday, like I said, with no sports in the U.S. on um, the NFL draft, I think a lot more people are going to be interested in this. Um, there's no NBA playoffs. There's no Stanley Cup playoffs. Obviously, uh, the, the NCAA tournament uh, tournament would have already been over, but there would have been other sports in full swing. Baseball getting started as well, and the draft usually does well in the ratings realm. Anyways, I think they're going to do even better uh, this year. Um, and so let's talk about it. Uh, what team in this year's draft are you guys keeping an eye on outside of your own team? Austin, obviously we know you're a Falcons fan. Gary, you're a Dolphins fan. Myself, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I'm all, always interested in at least one or two other teams to see what they're going to do in this year's draft. So, so, Gary, I'll ask you first. Is there a team that you're going to keep your eye on on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday? Well, for me, it's it's always going to be the New England Patriots in a draft because they're always up to something. Bill Belichick, those guys apparently know always what they're doing in a draft. They always are one step ahead of everyone. And it's going to be interesting this year because they're actually going to have to draft a quarterback who they're going to look to start possibly. Because right now, Brian Hoyer is set to be the starting quarterback. And I don't know if Brian Hoyer is going to be the guy they want to go with, but they're going to need to draft a quarterback this year and with eyes of actually playing. Would they start Hoyer over Stidham if those are the two quarterbacks going into the season? I would go with Hoyer over Stidham just because of the experience that Hoyer is going to bring. But I would ultimately look to draft someone early on if I'm New England. And one thing that I did, so I've, I've been reading up on some mock drafts and Peter King came out with this insane draft. I, I don't know when exactly it came out, but it was recent. And he has the Dolphins uh, trading up to trade with the Lions for the third pick to take Herbert. 
Then he has the Lions obviously taking a cornerback. He has the Chargers not taking a quarterback. He has them taking Andrew Thomas from Georgia. And then he has the New England Patriots trading up to the 13th pick with this, from the San Francisco Giants to take Tua. So if that would ever happen, I don't – that would be insane. But I just want to see how the Patriots can do a draft where they're going to draft a quarterback early because they drafted Brady way late. They drafted him in the sixth or seventh round when they first got him. But the Patriots are for sure my team to keep an eye out for. Austin, say the Patriots – don't draft a quarterback. We are going to focus on the draft, but Stidham or Hoyer, do you think that would be a, a, a competition going into camp? Do you, would you give either guy a lean going into the season? I think there could be some competition, yeah. I mean, Stidham wasn't really all that impressive in his limited opportunities last season, so there, there's not too much film for him to, to build his resume on. Um, I would personally give the nod to Hoyer, as Gary said, just because of experience, his leadership, etc. But it, it if they don't draft a quarterback early, I could see some competition brewing. And they also don't have to add from this draft class. There's still Andy Dalton still out there, Cam Newton, obviously Jameis Winston, who we've talked about a lot on this, on this show. Um, but Gary, going back to that point you made about uh, the Patriots trading up to 13, where the San Francisco sits right now. So that's an interesting, and I've seen, I've seen different mocks that have people trading into the 13 spot uh, because you look at the teams after that. So the 49ers not expected to draft a quarterback, obviously, if they kept that pick. And then you have the Bucks, the Broncos, and the Falcons, three teams that I don't expect to draft a quarterback in the first round. Um, then the Cowboys and Dolphins. Now, obviously, San Francisco is one of the teams that seems to be actively shopping that first-round pick. But I don't know if you need to really trade up to that 13 spot to get the quarterback you want. Yeah, and there could be a problem with trading up to that 13 spot because there are still some teams ahead of you that are going to be needing a quarterback. Like, I don't know, I think the Vegas Raiders might be needing to shoot for a quarterback this year because is Carr really going to be that good going down the line? I know Peter King, I'm looking at it right here, he has them taking CeeDee Lamb at 12. So if that were to happen, that would obviously work out in the Patriots' favor. But that 13 spot is tough because there's so many teams ahead of that 13 spot that are looking to get QBs. Yeah, I think one name that's going to be interesting to keep an eye on is Jordan Love out of Utah State. I've seen some mocks that have him going in the like, you know, mid to late first round, and, and some a lot later in the draft. So that's in one name to keep an eye on in terms of quarterbacks after we get past obviously Burrow, Tua, and Herbert. What do you guys think of Jordan Love? Because obviously there's been a lot of buzz about him come in these past few weeks, and I just I don't know. I don't see it really. I haven't followed him much as much as Utah State as I probably should, but it's just kind of feels like out of the blue and kind of a random hype and maybe a smoke screen. I think he's a guy with a high ceiling, but also a low floor. I'll say that high risk, high reward type of guy. Austin, what, what are your thoughts on love? I kind of get the smoke screen vibe as well, Gary. Um, I've seen people reports say that um, teams are valuing him over Herbert. Uh, not, not, over, not over Tua or Joe Burrow, but um, just teams could be baiting other teams to try and trade up to, get get herbert and get other assets exactly. um I, I i haven't watched a lot of his games his footage um so i really have no idea what to make of him but it is kind of way out of nowhere that i'm hearing his name rise up and up and up into maybe even the middle of the first round yeah austin go ahead and, and, and is there a team you're looking at in this draft trying to see outside of the falcons obviously to see how they how they deal uh with their picks yeah there's the jacksonville jaguars for me uh, right now, they have two first-round picks, 9 and 20, um, but they're also trying to trade Leonard Fournette, their running back, and Yannick Ngakwe uh, got the franchise tag, but he wants out of Jacksonville, clearly. He's been in Twitter feuds earlier today with members of the organization, so I don't see them holding on to both of those first-round picks, and if they package one of those picks with one or more of those players, they could get, uh, get some steals. The other thing in, in talking about Ngakwe and those, that, that Twitter beef he was, had with Tony Khan uh, earlier today, um, and, and Khan said it in a tweet that this is not helping his, his trade value. Um, and, but the Jaguars might not get as much as they want because they want Ngakwe gone. He wants to be gone. So teams know that, and they know that they, don't, they might not have to give up that much to get him, unless there's multiple suitors, which could always drive the price up. Right, who are you looking at other than the Buccaneers this this year? I was going to say the Patriots too, 
But but honestly, the, the Miami Dolphins, I think they're in a really interesting spot. Right now, that's probably the most debated pick, uh, that number five pick. They can, you know, you can see a team swoop in and trade up to get ahead of the Dolphins and take a quarterback of their choice. The Dolphins might not take a quarterback at all. I've seen them guy, uh, you know, maybe look at a guy like Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. Um, but if they do decide to go with a quarterback, then it's the question of who. Would it be Tua Tungavailoa? Or would it be a guy like Justin Herbert, who has gone up um, the draft boards recently as well? Um, they're, they're in a real interesting spot. Um, personally, if I, if I were running the Dolphins organization, I would do whatever it took to get Tua. Um, that's an opinion I've held for a long time. Um, but we'll see what they do. It's, it's going to be interesting. And another, another team, the Raiders, who got a ton of picks. Interesting to see where they try to build depth. Um, it, will they go with a receiver in the first round? I think mid first round is where we're going to see a flurry of wide receivers go. So the Oakland Raiders, and, and then um, I do got to talk about the Bucks for for just a second because obviously they go and get Tom Brady um, in free agency this off season. They're going to have to draft a quarterback at some point in this draft, I assume. Um, it's just a matter of where I've seen them. Some mocks that have them taking a quarterback as high as the second round. Others maybe try to wait it out and see if a guy they like falls into the you know uh, later in the second day or into the third day. Um, but but I do got to mention the Bucks and I am interested to see who they take at quarterback in this year's draft. Who's the Bucks' current backup right now? I don't even think I have an a remotely uh, close idea. Yeah, it's Blaine Gabbert. So okay. he was hurt for all of last year and they re-signed him for this year. They've also got Ryan Griffin, who's been in the league for like six years, but taken less than 10 snaps and they all came last year um so yeah not a great uh quarterback room past brady Mm -hmm. um and with brady only signing a two-year deal and most people expecting that he don't doesn't won't play with the bucks after that contract runs out um yeah it's probably going to be a a year that the bucks want to take a quarterback because there's the only three upgrades for their backup position at least the way it looks would be obviously Dalton, Newton, or Winston. I don't expect any of those guys to sign with the Bucks. Um, but yeah, it should be interesting. Uh, the, the other thing that's going to be weird about this draft, obviously, we're living in a very weird world right now, is that it's going to be all virtual. So it's not going to be the big extravaganza that the NFL puts on every year. And I've said on Tomahawk Talk before, probably last, I think it was on before last year's draft, that the draft has become maybe second to the Super Bowl, the biggest event the NFL has all year. Um, Sites that cover the NFL, radio stations, TV stations, all these outlets that cover the NFL love the draft because it drives up the ratings. It drives up their clicks. People love it. Um, And when it culminates on that that first Thursday night, um, there's a party in the streets at whatever city it's being hosted on. I know it's been moving around a lot in recent years, and it becomes a three- to four-hour television event. Um, and, and people just soak it up. This year, it's going to be completely virtual. Obviously, cannot have a large, uh, you know, an event put on. It was supposed to be in Vegas. Um, it was supposed to. I think there was supposed to be boats involved. It's supposed uh, to be in the Bellagio stage. Fountain. Yeah, it was going to be no, really it was, weird. It was so cool because, like, it was going to be cool. What, yeah, we saw what Nashville was able to do last year, and they had the whole like, was it Broadway shut down? There was a million. It felt like a million people on the street there. One big party at all the bars and everything. So imagine that, but in Vegas, and just having all the almost all the strip shut down, people like shoulder to shoulder, just being one huge party for football, and that's why it would have driven up the ratings too, is because people would want to see the draft on a boat or the draft on a in a middle of a lake or whatever it is. And that might have come with some issues, maybe some technical difficulties, but now it's going to be virtual, and we're going to probably experience some sort of technical difficulty. Um, on Thursday's draft, the uh, coaches are going to have to submit their picks virtually through, I don't know what computer system they're using. I'm sure that's a very high-tech, well-paid-for system. And there's also going to be a conference Yeah, there's also going to be a conference call line that coaches can manually call their picks in um, if there are some technical difficulties that they face. But what issues, Austin, I'll start with you, you think could come from the, a virtual draft? My biggest fear is just wondering when the first round is going to end, because as you said, the first round is this three to four hour TV event that that first Thursday night. So if we just compound enough of these technical issues, we could see it end at maybe one o'clock in the morning, worst case scenario. So 
I mean, I, I personally would not want to stay awake until that late in the morning just to watch who the 49ers and Chiefs pick. But for those who are invested, who need to stay up and watch their team pick, then I, I feel sorry for them. Yeah, it is interesting because another thing is the NFL is putting rules in place to where they can stop the clock on the draft picks in case there are difficulties to give teams more time. There might even be an, an abuse of that rule um, if, if teams are saying, oh, no, we've got technical difficulties while they're either trying to pull off a trade or make a decision on a guy. Um, and it could take the draft, I think, well into the night, maybe early into the morning. But, but Gary, what, what are you foreseeing? Uh, this weekend with the draft I don't well first off I'm going to go back to Austin's point I don't care how long this draft lasts I will be watching every minute of it because that's all we have right now so yeah I'm going to be glued to my tv for the next few days because I'll watch screw it I'll watch all the way through the sixth or whatever round we got all the way to the end but the biggest problem that I'm going to see happening is going to be the internet because not everyone at their house I don't know if the NFL has been giving people wi-fi boxes or whatever or boosters but let's let's be real these guys these football guys do not probably don't have the best internet at their houses and there's going to be some times where internet drops out like even at your home wherever internet drops and that's just kind of how it goes so we could see teams like you were saying Brett that kind of abuse that uh time out almost and I think we could expect to see Bill Belichick leading that charge of abusing timeouts <laughs> yeah for sure I think that's gonna be interesting to see how the Patriots draft on uh on Thursday, but we talked about it when we opened up this draft segment, um, but quarterbacks, it's always a huge topic in any draft, no matter how deep the class is at that position. Um, but I do want to talk more about Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins. And, and Gary, you are the Dolphins fan on the show tonight. Now, I'm not going to ask you if you want Tua to, to go to the Dolphins, but do you think he will end up with, with the Dolphins? The way that I'm seeing it right now, I don't think he will. I think there's been enough talk. I've, a lot, there's been a, started to be a lot of buzz about Herbert down here and a lot of buzz just about other players. And it's starting to look more and more unlikely that Tua doesn't come to the Dolphins. But then again, I've seen reports from – I've heard like kind of things from anonymous GMs that have said all the mock drafts are wrong. So that just pretty much says I don't – who the heck are the Dolphins going to pick? But it's going to be such a weird thing to see because everyone keeps going back and forth down here about Tua's injury. Herbert, like, is he good enough? Like, are we going to settle for just an okay quarterback rather than going for the guy who has a higher ceiling, which I, which Tua does have the higher ceiling? But it's just such a weird dynamic, and this is the first time the Dolphins have really been in this kind of situation because we have this pick, and then in the was it the fifth pick overall, and then we have the 18th and 24th or something like that. We have three picks in the first round and then another two in the second round. So, but the Dolphins are really going to have to take advantage of this first pick and try and go for a quarterback, if anything. But then again, I don't know because it's such a weird option and we have so many different choices to go. Yeah, Austin, what are your thoughts? If you had to, if you had to take a guess. I would say that Tua is still the man for Miami. I mean, there have been reports in the past couple of days that the organization was trying their hardest to fly him out to Miami's facilities right before the NFL shut down all draft-related travel. So that was really their last-ditch effort to get him out there, get him acclimated with what's going to be going on if he does go to the Dolphins. Um, but to Gary's point, all these uh, anonymous GMs and anonymous sources saying the media is more wrong about this draft than they've ever been, that's that's really making me reconsider, especially at the top of the draft. Like we, we figure Burrow and Chase Young are going one and two, but from there on, like this is this is making me a bit more uh, unsure. Yeah, and like there was also the what was it the fake uh, Wonderlick scores that were released the other night, yeah. and Tua got a thirteen, and the average usually about twenty. So I somebody was trying to let out put out a smoke screen or do it again and trying yes. to maybe hurt Tua's draft stock. So. Hey, it, that could have been New England if we're seeing what Peter King's doing with that uh, mock draft there. So it really is just a confusing situation we're all in at this point because it's just a crapshoot, honestly, on who's going to be picked after the third, after the second pick. Yeah, if if we're taking Tua versus the field on who the Dolphins are going to take with the number five pick, I don't know if I'd be ready to take Tua yet. I wouldn't take the field because I think Tua is the most likely option. Uh, but there are so many other things that could happen. One, the Dolphins could decide they want to take someone else, like Isaiah Simmons or like Justin Herbert, 
or another team could swoop in and take Tua before the number five pick. There are so many options, like you said, Gary. So I wouldn't necessarily take Tua versus the field, but I'm definitely not taking the field um, on that one. I do see Tua ending up with the Miami Dolphins. Um, do you guys think it's the injury that's causing all these question marks with Tua? If, if it's not a smoke screen, or do you think there's some other part of his game? I know the Wonderlic score, it wasn't a 13, it was a 19, which isn't great, but again, it's not really bad either. Um, more of closer to the average. Uh, what do you think it is, Gary? Well, the reason for him getting to this fifth position, the Dolphins spot originally, is because of this dislocated hip and a posterior wall fracture that he suffered in the 38-7 to win over Mississippi State last year. And that's just a huge concern. And I don't really know if the the Wonderlick score and all that's really going to affect the stock at this point, considering we're this far deep and a lot of big boards and a lot of teams' preparations are almost done. But that injury is just so scary for a lot of people, including myself, when considering Tua, because if Tua did not have this injury, he's going number one overall. He's better than Joe Burrow. He's better than Chase Young in terms of who to pick if you're the Bengals. And it just makes a little makes it a little bit worse for the Dolphins that he had this injury because it makes you question a bit more of this pick. So, so Gary, you've told me who you think, or who, you, if you think the, the Dolphins will take Tua, but who do you want them to take? Let's say if, you know, besides Burrow, who would you want the Dolphins to take most of the number five pick? Is it even a quarterback? I am not kidding to you when I say this, but I have been flipping just about every single day or every other day on who I want the Dolphins to draft. I watched the, I said last week I was going to watch the Nick Saban detail thing on ESPN. It was very good. I, for the Tua section, they showed pretty much only touchdowns. So that made me absolutely love Tua. But then again, I had to keep reminding myself in the back of my head, he's got these injuries. These hip injuries don't just go away. It's just like they said, it's, since it's a dislocated hip, it's almost like a dislocated shoulder. It's more common to re, like to relapse on it than anything else. So it really can affect you later on down the line, especially as you get older and the, t- the style of football that Tua plays and the lack of help on the O-line that the Dolphins have. So in my opinion, I'm honestly looking right now for the Dolphins to draft the, the best player available. And it could be Tua, it could be Herbert, but ultimately it could also be an O-lineman. I know Makai Becton's out there. He's a very good O-lineman, and that's something that the Dolphins are going to have to build up to start with. Like, you've got to have a good O-line to protect possibly a hurt quarterback right there. So it's going to be an interesting dynamic, but right now I'm settled on best available athlete. Like it. All right. So we talked about quarterbacks and trading up for quarterbacks. Austin, give me one team that is the most likely to trade up for a quarterback. I'm kind of thinking the Jaguars once again, uh, just to recycle the same team from earlier. Um, The Raiders are out there. We mentioned them. They could potentially be looking for the replacement to Derek Carr. But I mean, these assets that the Jags have, they do have a skinned first round pick, uh, two first round picks that some teams don't have. A team could be looking to trade up from the second. Um, yeah, yeah. So they have nine and twenty, um, and then also uh, Yannick Ngakwe and Leonard Fournette. So I mean, the situation with Ngakwe is really murky, but Fournette is still a really proficient back um, at at a good price too. I think his cap hit for twenty twenty is like four million dollars, and then if a team picks up his fifth year option, it goes up to five million. So not the priciest of running backs. Um, that could be potential trade ammo for them to go up and snag Tua or Herbert from another team. Like one, team that could, one team that I could really see trading up right now is the, is the Los Angeles Chargers because they're in that weird position right behind the Dolphins to where if maybe Tua or Herbert get drafted before the Dolphins, like possibly by the Lions or, who, or the Redskins, maybe then the Chargers say, hey, we got to go for it. We got to get a quarterback. We got to get Herbert right now. So they tr- possibly would trade up in front of the Dolphins with the Giants or whoever and snag that quarterback. So they're in that weird spot too with the Dolphins. So maybe if things happen the way kind of it all folds up and the Dolphins decide, hey, we got to make a push now or else we're not going to get this guy, that the Chargers probably have to make a move. So it's for the Chargers for me on uh, trading up to get a QB. Yeah, I could see the Chargers um, trading up. I don't know if they're the most likely. The most likely is probably the the Raiders, um, given how the draft order is set up. Uh, the Chargers would have to draw, uh, trade into the top five. They'd have to jump Miami if they wanted to get their guy. Um, if you look at the Jaguars, they would probably also have to jump into the top five if they wanted to trade for a quarterback. 
um, that early on in the draft. They could trade up, you know, later in the first round um, for, you know, trade a couple second round picks and some other guys over to a team to get a second pick in the first round. Um, I don't see them trying to move up from nine um, further into the top 10, but the Raiders, they're sitting at 12 now. The teams that are going to probably draft quarterbacks ahead of them are, are Miami, Los Angeles, and potentially Jacksonville. Um, I could see them draft uh, trading in maybe to that six or seven, or not the six spot because that's Los Angeles, uh, maybe the seven or eight spot to get that next pick at quarterback to ensure that they're getting a um, guy like Justin Herbert if he falls uh, or, or any of the other quarterbacks that are out there. Um, so I don't know if it's likely that a team does trade up specifically to draft a quarterback, but if there is a trade, I think it's most likely to be the Los Angeles or the Las Vegas Raiders, rather. I think I said Los Angeles Raiders. <laughs> you last you week. in Los Angeles, that which is weird that you go to Los Angeles rather than Oakland. Like yeah, they were right. most recently in Oakland. <laughs> I don't know. We're gonna move on. Wide receivers. <laughs> so quarterback, the the depth of the quarterback class in the draft is is kind of debatable this year, but there is no debate when it comes to the wide receivers. Obviously, college football is you know just chock full of of, of elite wide receiver talent. C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, uh, Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, all across the country. Uh, just top, top, top wide receiver talent. A lot of those guys are going to be in the draft uh, this week. So who is the best receiver on the board in this year's draft? We'll start with Gary. It's got to be Jerry Judy, man. He's had two 1,000-plus receiving yard seasons, 24 touchdowns in his career at Alabama. The guy's a monster. He's going to make an impact on whatever team you get him to as long as he has a de- decent quarterback there and a decent O-line for the quarterback to then get the ball off to get it to him. But he can really make big plays happen. For sure. Austin? Yeah, I completely agree with Gary here. Uh, Judy is better than his Alabama uh, classmate, teammate, Henry Ruggs. And then when you compare him to C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, my big point that I keep coming back to is that C.D. Lamb tore up Big 12 defenses that are notoriously bad. That is not a good defensive conference. Whereas Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs, to a lesser extent, tore up SEC defenses, which are known for being tough, nasty. You have the LSUs, the Georgias, et cetera, in that conference. So, and he put up similar numbers, got similar accolades. I think it's just clearly Jerry Judy. But you could have said the same thing about uh, Hollywood Brown last uh, year with Oklahoma. I know he's now in Baltimore with the Ravens, and he played pretty well for his rookie year. So I know just that kind of Big 12 bias might hurt a little bit, but I, he is C.D. Lamb really will be a good receiver in the NFL. Oh, I think they're both going to be great players. It's just, I would take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who's Judy the better one? I would take mm-hmm. CD. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think you're going to have a bad player with either of them. Um, if, if it was uh, my intention to draft a receiver in the first round, I don't think that's necessarily a smart decision. Um, but if I were a GM and that's what we needed to do in the first round and I got my pick of the litter, I would take Judy. But I also think that CD Lamb might have a higher ceiling with some of the – Jerry Judy's very athletic, but C.D. Lamb is a, is a true, true freak athlete, and I think uh, he could end up having a better career. But it's so, so hard to tell. Uh, you know, they haven't even started their careers yet. Now, let's um, – some of them might hit a little closer to home. Florida State players in this year's draft. Not always uh, – usually it's a bigger talking point. Usually there are more players involved, and we did expect more, uh, more players from Florida State to be, you know, potential first or second round candidates, um, Marvin Wilson and Terry and Terry, who ended up, you know, staying at Florida State for another year. Um, but let's talk about the Florida State players in this year's draft. So I'm going to list off all the draft eligible players, the players that declared early and the seniors that are draft eligible. You got running back Cam Akers, defensive backs Levante Taylor and Stanford Samuels III, wide receiver Keith Gavin, quarterback Alex Hornibrook, tight end Gabe Neighbors. Offensive linemen, Ryan Roberts, Cole Minshew, and Abdul Bello. Uh, linebackers, Dontavious Jackson, Josh Brown, and Adonis Thomas. And kicker, Ricky Aguayo. Uh, obviously, not all of those guys will be drafted. Um, a small few of them will, might be, actually. Um, but let's talk about Cam Akers. He is maybe the only lockdown player from Florida State that will for sure be drafted. Um, Gary, how high do you see Akers going uh, this weekend? At the latest, it would be third round for him, earliest second round. So I like him as a second round pick. He's really got some high upside potential, obviously. They're going to look at how he did at Florida State, and it's very, it's still good. He did really well for the Knowles, but when it came down to wins and losses, it didn't really help that much. So 
hopefully teams can kind of just get that out of their head and look at what the potential that he really has because he really can be something special. Austin, you see Cam going maybe on in the second round. Is that the best they could get for him? Second round is probably best case scenario. I'm leaning more towards uh, middle or late third round and like worst case scenario, I'd say early fourth round. Uh, that's just where I've seen him potentially mucked up. Um, I think the the workload at FSU could be a concern for teams. Like if he's already uh, not not running on fumes per se, but the fact that so much of Florida State's offense was run through Cam Akers, uh, there could be concerns about how many productive years they're going to get out of him. Um, but I, I do see teams generally holding off on running backs with the with the exception of maybe DeAndre Swift going in the first round. Uh, I see J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor uh, going much later, not much later, but day two. Um, so that would push back Cam's drafting position to after them. Yeah, it would be really hard for him to get into the second round. That would be an accomplishment for sure. It, it really does depend how teams draft guys like Swift, Dobbins, Edward Tolaire out of LSU. I know the Bucks are going to be in the market for a running back. And I think Edward Tolaire is probably number one on their board. Depends on when they want to take him, though. And if he's gone in the second round, they might go after a guy like Akers in the third. Uh, which would be really fun to see him go to the Bucks, But, yeah, third round I think is best bet for Cam. Um, is there a specific team you would like to see him play for? Or maybe, I don't know. I said the Bucks. I think he would also fit well into the offense. He's a pretty solid pass catching back, which is important for, for Tom Brady. Um, but, but any team that you guys are maybe hoping he gets picked by? Well, I mean, I'd love to see him for the Dolph. I'd love to see him in the Dolphins, but that's probably not as likely, even though the Dolphins do. They have holes everywhere on this roster. So putting him at running back would be a great choice because I every year I, I kind of want the, uh, the Dolphins to draft some Knowles, but that rarely happens. <laughs> Austin? I'm, I'm, I'm much more reassured that we're sticking with uh, home bias for, for, uh, for our home teams. Uh, just <laughs> speak, speaking on familiarity. Because I, I did say the Atlanta Falcons, um, just because I don't believe that Todd's group, Todd Gurley is going to get the lion's share of rushes or passes out of the backfield uh, in this offense. He's not going to be nearly the workhorse that he was for the Rams. So I think Akers could be a, a great compliment for him in our offense. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, we, we would all love to see a bunch of Knowles picked by our teams and, and succeed in the NFL and uh... – but it doesn't always happen. Um, but, yeah, Cam Akers. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. Um, outside of Cam Akers, which Florida State player do you guys think really has the best chance of getting drafted? There's really only three others between Taylor, Samuels III, and, and Keith Gavin. Uh, none of the other players, none of those other seniors will get, will get picked. And there's not a guarantee that any of Taylor, Samuels, and Gavin will be picked. But out of those three, Gary, who do you think has the best chance of getting their name called uh, at the draft? I mean, it's either going to be Levante Taylor or Stanford Samuel. So I'll just go with Levante Taylor right now. I mean, both guys really didn't put up that great a body of work these past couple seasons, but they do have some potential to them. Granted, they're probably not the quickest back there, but they do have some, they do have some, they have decent football smarts, so they can work their way, work their way around the field and make some plays happen. Austin, I know you have more on Stanford. I do, yeah. He was an honorable mention for this past year's All-ACC team, so some accolades there. Um, he was fourth on the team in tackles this past year with 60. Um, the only other defensive back in the top the top two, the four, was Hanson Nazruddin uh, with over 100. That was harkening back to trivia a couple of weeks ago. But um, th the one concern that I do have for him that could knock him from, say, sixth or seventh round to just being an undrafted free agent is his 40 time. I believe he ran like a 4.62, somewhere in that range at the Combine. And that, that's about his most recent film since no schools had pro days. Uh, no, there, There's been no travel to meet with specific players. Um, so that could still be weighing, uh, weighing heavily on the minds of some scouts and teams. But I, I think he's the safest bet after Cam Akers to get drafted. It's tough. Like there weren't, it was really such a, a huge drop off after cam makers in terms of talent on this florida state roster from this past season so it really makes you question like can even levante taylor or stanford or gavin get drafted and it it makes you really question it yeah taylor uh won't he won't be drafted yeah. uh he has kind of gone on a downward trajectory throughout his florida state career where stanford samuels is, is kind of gone up 
And I, that does make him, after Ken Akers, the most likely to be picked. It's not a guarantee, but I'm pretty sure it'll happen. Uh, it'll be late, uh, and, but he'll get a shot somewhere. And, and Taylor and Gavin will get shots as undrafted free agents as well. Um, and, and it's not even guaranteed that the late draft picks make the team um, going into the season. Um, but Stanford Samuels had a, put together an okay season. He's not the fastest. Taylor isn't either. Um, it probably makes him the, the most likely if Taylor got picked in the seventh round, it wouldn't, sh- it wouldn't be like the most shocking thing in the world. I just don't see it happening given the way his career went. And I know he dealt with injuries, um, but it never really got better. It kind of slightly, you know, kind of gradually got worse for him at Florida state. Um, but uh, I'm saying no, but do you guys think there's any chance there's more than two Florida state players taken at, at the draft? If we set the over under at two and a half, I'm probably going to take the under there like that. It's such a tough number to call. Even if it was out, even if it's at one and a half, I'm more or less leaning towards that under it's, it's really tough. I think it would be set at two. I think it'd be set at two because it's, yeah, it, 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 something tells me Samuels is going to, is almost a lock to get picked at some point just because of the season he put together. I thought that he showed a lot of promise. Um, he really would have had to do well in interviews with some teams, I think, to get that uh, to get that pick or to earn that pick. Because, like Austin said, that combine was bad, and that is something you really need to kind of reassure teams that, hey, that was just a bad day for me. I got this, this, and this left in my arsenal. Yeah, and that might have helped him or hurt him, but it also might have helped or hurt other guys that didn't get a chance to interview and meet with teams, um, which could help his stock. So again, a lot of unknowns, this is an unusual draft and an unusual uh, situation. Um, But I think, yeah, if there was an over under Florida state players being picked, it'd probably be around two and it'd be, it'd be a tough bet to make. So uh, moving on. So that's the draft this weekend. We're going to talk, we're going to recap the draft, I'm sure um, next week. Um, But the other live event that we all got to experience last night on Sunday was The Last Dance, the documentary covering the 98 Bulls. Um, there was a lot of um, footage from people following that team around that season. Um, it was, you know, The Last Dance. It was their sixth championship. And ESPN, their 30 for 30 films, which has obviously done some great, great award-winning stuff, um, is doing a 10-part documentary. I think the last time they did something even close to this long was the O.J. Simpson documentary, which was seven parts, spanned like seven and a half hours. And this one is is longer than that. It's going to go um, 10 hours over you know, 10 episodes. And we got to see the first two last night. We're going to get two every Sunday night for the next five weeks or four weeks, I guess. Um, but initial thoughts, Gary, after after watching those first two episodes last night? I loved it personally. I thought it was amazing because we didn't live through this. We were obviously born 98 or past that. So seeing this kind of all be played out almost like it was real time and stuff like that just made me reassure or like kind of gave us a look into who Jordan was because for the most part, it was just stories that we'd heard about him. But now we're hearing it from the horse's mouth. We're seeing video of him in practices in games in the locker room, which is really cool that they let that camera crew in for that uh, 97-98 season to kind of follow the team. And it was, it was just amazing. And I, I think for me, it kind of reassures him. I know we're two episodes into it, but for me, I think it reassures him as the GOAT for me. Maybe. There will probably be a LeBron documentary or two. Well, why, well, there can't really be a – wait, I'm going to okay, jump go in. Ahead, there can't ahead. really be Stay a LeBron ahead. documentary because every, he documents it all himself and he puts it out on Instagram or whatever. We're not – there is no, like, secret video that we don't have or we can't see because everything is so much more accessible and we all have cameras on us at all times. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Austin? Yeah, this documentary is going to be dangerous for me because I am uh, on the side of LeBron in the GOAT debate just because I didn't grow up watching MJ. I didn't see him firsthand. Um, So as this documentary goes on, MJ could be making a case to overtake him for the number one spot. But aside from that, um, I really did enjoy it. I'm not the biggest basketball historian on the planet or at the station in general. Um, So just getting to get some context for the feuds between the players and Phil Jackson versus the front office, specifically the general manager, uh, Jerry Krause. It's, it's kind of a shame that he's not alive to defend himself here because he was catching some very heavy flack from pretty much everybody involved in that documentary. But just getting to, getting to know the conflict that set up 
prior to this championship season when everything when a championship seems so in doubt um it's it's really interesting so far did you guys like the decision that ESPN made to go two at a time or would you rather seen it like once every day or all 10 at once all 10 at once for me I'm I'm big on binge watching I would have gladly watched all 10 of these episodes at once maybe split it up into two sessions but I I just I I want more I can't wait until (laughs) Sunday Brett what about you I like two at a time. Uh, two hours, like sitting down to watch a movie. Yeah. I know the commercials were rough, especially because we've all been streaming a lot lately, <laughs> not watching as much live TV through cable or broadcast t- television. So it was rough uh, watching the commercials, uh, but I but I liked that decision and it gave me something to watch. And then obviously I watched Westworld after that. But sit mm-hmm. down for two hours, kind of like you would for a movie or a basketball game. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't mind watching it episodically because it gives us time to sit and kind of digest it and talk about it on a platform like this um, every week for the next five weeks. So thank you ESPN for giving us content for a month and a half. Exactly. Um, And like we would have seen, and we would have seen people who'd burned through all 10 episodes in 10 hours. And by now they would have been done and they would have been tweeting out all this stuff, like all the cool quotes from the last couple episodes. And I probably wouldn't have been done with it by now. I would have taken it a day or two at a time. Like I did with the uh, Sunderland till I die documentary. I tried to keep myself to two episodes a night. So I really like it that they're kind of making us wait and making us want more the whole time. So I heard, but I, I didn't confirm this. Was the original plan by ESPN to release this on during the finals on days that there weren't games, release an episode on the days that there weren't games in the NBA finals? That's what I heard. I, I don't know how much truth there was to that, but I also heard there was it was going to be after the finals. So, I mean, I would have been fine with it either way, but – if it was during that finals week, the final weeks, and we would have seen it kind of on those off nights, that would have been amazing. Even though we do, we would have had NHL playoffs on those same nights too, probably. But I still think it would have made for great television either way. And, every, and a ton of people would have watched because think about how many people watch the NBA finals and don't watch the NHL playoffs. You're going to have all those people that are going to go watch MJ. And even if you are a hockey fan, but you're a bigger MJ fan or just – love the game of basketball you're probably going to watch the mj doc yeah and this i wasn't i wasn't in love with the documentary i thought it was good i, I thought it was, i really enjoyed it i'm gonna be tuning in probably every week i thought it, it, it was billed as the last dance chronicling the team I, I, we got a lot of exposition and i'm starting to get the feeling that, that we're going to get more exposition from the story where they're going to focus on specific stories um, for each episode and then show bits and pieces of footage from that 98 season. Um, that's really probably the only way they could stretch it out to, to 10 episodes. Um, last night we got some, obviously some Michael Jordan, um, uh, his backstory, Scotty Pippen as well. I'm sure we'll get uh, other players or people involved, or we might get another Pippen backstory and that provides some exposition to the 98 season. Um but ultimately, I don't know how much story there is to tell over 10 episodes. I think uh, we're, we're going to get to watch that unfold. But again, I don't know if this would be as popular if sports were being played. Like, obviously, you mentioned the playoffs going on, Gary. But think about baseball fans. You know, are they going to tune in to watch it when they could just be watching games if it were on, you know, a weeknight um, during, during the summer? I don't know. So I think it's great that it's popular because there's not much else going on. And it gives us something to talk about. Um, but I don't know if it would be as big uh, if, if things were, were normal. I want to go back to your point about the, like kind of going in episodic fashion or kind of going through the timeline of this 98 season. It, they kind of have to do these context situations to tell the story because if they just cut through certain parts of the season, you'd have been wondering, okay, why is Pippin her? Why is he not playing? Why is he holding out this long? Yeah. Why didn't he get his surgery? So they kind of had to put it that way where the second episode was the Pippin episode where he can kind of say, this is why I waited this long to get surgery or get treatment for my foot. And I really had to do this because I was only getting paid $18 million over seven seasons. So, and then it also gave context to the beef with Kraus throughout the whole kind of first and second episodes because they really show how, like what Austin was saying, they kind of went dug in on the man and they were doing a lot of digging on him uh, on Twitter last night. I know somebody, I can't remember the uh, person who tweeted it out, but they drew an interesting comparison that 
Kraus looks like the what the villain from Space Jam, the alien villain, the bigger guy who always has the cigar in his mouth. Jesus. Somebody somebody put that together and it kind of hit me. I was like, oh, that kind of makes sense. But like, I don't know if MJ really had that much creative control over Space Jam. Yeah, we'll see. I'm, I'm team Jerry Kraus. A lot of people, he why was getting you, a lot of hate. Why are you team Jerry Kraus? I mean, because like, no one ever backs up the front office of sports teams and I will. But is is there any other reason just to back up the front office? Because he really did a lot that kind of like he gets, he he should deserve all the credit for building the team, the first team, the the sixth team. I give him credit for that, all the respect for that. But for him going through and saying, we're breaking it up, we're tearing it down, we're going to rebuild like that. But he saw the writing on the wall. After 98, how many titles have they won since then? A big old goose egg. They haven't done anything because they got rid of Phil Jackson. They don't have Phil. They got rid of the best coach but, in the game. But, but if they were, if they were able to rebuild in the way that Kraus wanted to, I don't know. Maybe they would. But with the, the Iowa head coach, success. The, was the know. Iowa head coach going to lead them to titles? Well, but it's but it's no. But it's about the roster, the roster too, and obviously dealing with 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 salaries. Um, I'm not saying Kraus was 100 percent right, but I do think this was the 90s when the view of a lot of people is that you need to just keep, you know, hold on to your, your best players or what were your best players forever. And obviously Jordan and Pippen and, and Rodman were still like stars. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is, when you're running a, a major sports organization, you have to not only build to compete that year, but also future years. And I think that's what Krause was trying to do. They kind of painted him in the documentary, just like, like he like almost as if he were tasked to run the team in major league where he, they were just trying to tear the team down. And that wasn't what was happening. Um, I saw what he was, or at least the way he was depicted. I thought I saw what he was trying to do. He might not have had the best ideas, but ultimately I thought they were a little harsh on him. And obviously uh, Twitter was as well, but I put out on Twitter last night that I'm hashtag team. Uh, front office no joke i said this to my dad in the middle of the uh, middle of that episode where mj's talking about how he was limited to the 14 minutes a game i said to my dad i looked at him i was like this is exactly the plot of major league like it's crazy <laughs> how close that was and like that's funny that you drew the same comparison well, yeah and, and it ultimately worked out i mean they got their sixth title and they've been really bad since then since everything fell apart but why just spoil it for me and i'd know how it ends <laughs> <laughs> well I think that's going to do it for, for tonight's episode. We're going to have the last dance for the next few weeks. We're not doing trivia tonight. Like I said, we've actually gotten about an hour um, our V89 Sports end-of-the-year Zoom meeting. We haven't met with everyone since uh, we all went home. and haven't, Well, I'm in Tallahassee, but since everyone dispersed back to where they came from. Um, but uh, thank you guys for coming on, talking about the draft. Uh, you guys provided some great insight and some great commentary on the last dance. We'll be recapping the draft next week and, and, and talking more of the last dance. So it's going to be a somewhat similar episode. Um, maybe we'll make some time for trivia so I can defend my title for the first time. Um, maybe some MJ trivia. Oh, that's actually That'd be nice. Yeah. The MJ, that's that, very topical. Write I'll, that down. I'll write that down. Oh, yeah. um, but that, that'll do it tonight on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, for Austin Reynolds, for Gary Putnick, I'm Brett Rutherford, and we'll see you guys next week.